0: And welcome to A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices one story at a time. This is a podcast about work, life, and the pursuit of balance. Exploring the reasons behind the choices that individuals make when balancing work with everything else in their lives. Understanding how we work and why we prioritize some things over others can help make sense of work-life balance choices. This podcast seeks to showcase the diverse ways that people flex work around life and life around work, to learn from one another and celebrate our differences. I'm your host, Dahlia Wittenberg, creator of the blog A Fine Balance. In each podcast, I'll be inviting my guests to put a figure on their current work to life ratio. Of course, quantifying something this multifaceted isn't a science, but it's a good place to start for getting to the heart of their story. My guest this episode is Paul Morgan Bentley. Paul's day job is working as the head of investigations at the Times newspaper in London, specializing in undercover work and in-depth reporting. Yet in the last few years, Paul's taken on two additional working roles. These are, in chronological order, that of a father and that of an author. Paul's book, The Equal Parent, which is based on his experience of fatherhood, advocates, as the title suggests, for parental equality. His insights stem from his experience of sharing the parental load when you're in a same-sex marriage and the observations and prejudices that he and his husband encountered when caring for their son. To Paul, some throwaway comments from multiple angles of society exposed deeply ingrained gender stereotypes that reinforce inequalities in the home and the workplace. As is fitting for an in-depth reporter, Paul was prompted to forensically scrutinise the basis of these stereotypes and challenge them. As you can tell, fatherhood is not a job that Paul takes lightly. It's something that he says he longed for growing up, having reluctantly resigned himself to accept that as a gay man, this was a closed door for him. I mourned my fertility, he says, of coming to terms with the reality that he would never, for example, experience watching his unborn child appear on an ultrasound monitor. Discovering that surrogacy was an option was life-changing for Paul parenting after fertility disappointment or heartbreak is something that has come up before on the blog Find balance and on this podcast but it's only come up from a female perspective in every case we've touched on previously this element of the parenting journey has had an impact on work-life balance choices and I'm really excited to hear more about Paul's take on the subject Having this conversation with Paul today is particularly timely given that we are recording this episode during Pride Month. Being proud of something means more than just feeling satisfied with it. The word pride implies a degree of celebration. There's an instinctive interplay between feeling proud about something that you've done or something that you are and feeling a degree of balance in life. I'm so grateful to Paul for making himself available this week just before Pride Month comes to an end and hear more about his work-life balance story. So without further ado, Paul Morgan Bentley, welcome to a fine Balance, the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me
0: on. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you uh, for taking the time to join me today. And let's kick off with the first question that I ask all my guests, and that is what numbers would you say quantify your work-to-life ratio and why?
1: So my answer to this is, Not the simplest one. I think through becoming dads, what my husband and I have really worked out, because we both work full time still, is that it's not that we do 50 50 every day. And while there's there is some kind of balance that's, you know, I'd like to say it's about, you know, five, five. It's it's that kind of half half. Actually, in reality, on every day it's different. So there are some weeks where I'm close to a 10 and Robin picks up everything at home. And there are some weeks where he's close to a 10 and I'm close to a one and, we're, and it shifts the other way. So for us, kind of not just the, the work life balance individually, but also as a couple, it only really works for us if we can be flexible and we can kind of pick up where the other one, you know, um, is slacking or has to focus somewhere else. So, for instance, like Robin's work means he sometimes has to go to New York for a week and in those weeks i'm doing a hell of a lot more parenting than he is and i'm sure you know my hours at work are are gonna suffer those weeks um but then when there's a big investigation going into the times uh robin has to pick up at home and i'm definitely in the office for much longer hours
0: so there's a fluidity there to your work to life ratio then is that what you mean
1: yes exactly so on any day it's kind of different depending on on how on how we've split the responsibility that day we, we right. tend to we try to kind of split the responsibility 50 50 if we can in general and hope that overall it balances out but really the most important thing is that the, we can both do everything so at some periods where I'm much more focused on home life on some periods I'm much more focused on work
0: right okay and where do other things fall into that then I mean do you do you consider your work-to-life ratio along that split of the time you spend on your career and the time you spend at home as a father? Where's the space for other stuff then?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, there isn't a massive amount of space for other stuff. In a way, because of the responsibility of parenting, I kind of see uh, work has become more enjoyable in some ways because it's such an escape from that at times. And... Um, you know there's it feels like there's a real privilege to be able to go to work and totally focus on work and have that kind of mental space to be totally focused in that way and i get a lot of joy out of that um i mean we have social lives and and but they do kind of resolve revolve around our kids as well at this period i think partly maybe because if you work, if both of you work full-time then the other time is really precious with our son so the truth is <laughs> at this stage of my life uh, whether for good or for bad there aren't a hell of a lot of hobbies going on um yeah. you know I, I think it's partly you know on the weekend i want to be with my son and during the, he's at nursery long hours he's he's there from eight till six uh you know not always those full hours because sometimes we're late and sometimes we pick him up early but you know he's at nursery a lot and uh, we're at work a lot and so i think you know aside from that I I really want to be spending time with him
0: so there's kind of an acceptance then I suppose that this is the season in your life where that has to take priority where your career and your parenting has to take priority and so there isn't much space there for I don't know for other stuff maybe relaxing stuff or I don't know is that just do you just accept that and think well it won't always be this way or do you feel like like how how content i suppose are you with that that sense of balance like you're not giving a, a fixed figure right because it, it's fluid but in the overall big picture does mm. that feel like a degree of balance for you like in a healthy way
1: yes i mean the i'm sure it could improve massively and i'm sure in different periods of our lives it will change I mean we laugh about what weekends used to be and how we used to kind of wake up on a Saturday morning and maybe we'd watch one episode of something and then start yawning and think oh let's go back to bed for a couple of hours yeah, that <laughs> seems like a very distant memory yeah um but you know it's within each day our evenings are really precious to us so when you know we're pro- we're pretty lenient parents generally about most things but we really try to get him to bed by you know latest Eight o'clock, if possible. Sometimes it goes past that, but because we're those kind of few hours in the evening where we get to watch an episode of something and eat and cook and and have that adult time, you know that feels to me like the time where you can f- fully relax your mind. um And you know we go on holidays and we do things like that, but it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's if you're a, if if both of you are working full time and mm-hmm. you've got at least a child that's pretty full-on there isn't a huge amount of space for other things at this stage in our lives
0: yeah okay and do you think you were did you have a similar attitude to work before you had a child
1: no not at all I mean I was very 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 focused on work before I had uh, my son I'm still very focused on work but it it was definitely more all-consuming before um, yeah. and I was always massively passionate about it but it never felt like a massive chore My, I do love my work and it does when I'm totally focused on work it does feel like a real joy and a privilege and I think even more since having my son because of that extra different responsibility I kind of spend much less time at work worrying than I used to over decisions mm. I think I'm more decisive now I think I can enjoy it even more because, you know, there's a limited number of hours in the day that I can focus on it usually. So, um, yeah. you know, I, and I don't sit around. this. The Sunday night feeling doesn't really exist in the same way that it used to, that kind of, oh, there's work tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I get on the train to the office and I love the commute now in a way that I didn't before. <laughs> and I think it's that kind of, because it's different. It's that, yeah. you know, the key thing in life is variety, really, for me anyway. Mm. And my job anyway, there's a variety to it. because So I'm looking into different um, kind of potential scandals or issues that we want to be exposed uh, at the newspaper and yeah. no two things are the same like I cover very different topics or I have done throughout my career so that variety is really important to me and then even more so having had Solly there's a variety to the week and that responsibility so suddenly the kind of I'm probably spending fewer hours on my job but I think those hours are kind of more intense more focused so all in all it kind of, if anything, I see the real benefits of being a parent at work in yeah. a way that, you know, I don't get as nervous about I've got a big presentation to do or I've got a big, you know, pitch, you know, stuff like that. I would have lost sleep overnight. Um, but when you're dealing with a toddler and uh, we've also got a puppy, <laughs> you know, you're so busy yeah. that you kind of don't have time to worry in the same way. And I think there's something really freeing about that mentally.
0: Yeah, I guess it, you have a different perspective, don't you? if your focus is not all just in one area of your life just in your career mm. i guess you know that gives you a different perspective and it sounds like you're super motivated and and there's a purpose in everything that you do so the classic sort of taking time out and smelling the roses kind of of your life doesn't sound like there has a lot of space for that at the moment for you but you're driven and and you're excited by your work and you're excited by your home and and maybe that's enough to create that sense of balance without the softer stuff happening
1: I think think? for me anyway it's about within each day creating those moments so for instance Mm. I'm not on the train in the morning and working from the moment I'm there on my laptop some days if I really have to I am but mostly the commute I'm you know for me though actually it's, it's funny that the commute is for me a real joy in a way that it wasn't previously and I think it's it's being freed from that kind of mental load from the responsibility you know if yeah. i know my son's at nursery and my husband's at home so if there's an issue at nursery he'll be there because what the way we arrange it is when one of us is in the office the other one works from home and you know i'm on the way to work and i'm going to have these kind of 2 hours during the day where i can just completely let my mind go and i'll listen to something or i'll listen to some music and you know i think for me it's much more important to have those moments of kind of uh not driving for anything having those kind of cap- couple of hours a day rather than having like a week when i'm totally mm. switched you know for, for me that's more important yeah. so I'm, i you know i don't want to give the impression that i'm always achieving things you know there's an element yeah. i'm definitely ambitious and and that drives me um, but i love those moments where you're totally freed and you're not thinking about anything
0: yeah i i think that's such a great point to think about as well in terms of work life balance because so often on this podcast or when i'm interviewing people on my blog we talk about you know how can a person find their balance and for some people it's a massive seismic change of you know maybe moving location or changing careers whereas sometimes it's those tiny incremental moments that can really shift your sense of balance and you're saying that you now take this commute of yours which is such you know could be just a mundane everyday no. occurrence but actually if you like focus on that, that sense of liberation that you're in between your work responsibilities and your home responsibilities in that moment, you're on a train, uh, you can't really be contacted to do anything. It's just appreciating the, you're, the freedom that you have in that moment and enjoying it. I think that's there's something there that I think is really helpful, actually, to think about.
1: And you can apply that everywhere. There's actually, you've reminded me of a joke that we have at the moment, uh, Robin and me, which is about luxury mini breaks. And how, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon and you've gone round to a friend's house. And, you know, you're chatting to your friends, but at the back of your mind, you're worrying, like, where's my kid gone? Is he falling down the stairs? What's going on? <laughs> so what we do is we'll basically say to each other, like, right, you're on now. So the other person yes. can just be lost in conversation and have adult time. And if anyone's wow. worrying about our son, it's the other one. And we call them luxury and mentally breaks. Or we'll, like, joke with each other. You know, I was... Um, I was at my parents' house uh, this weekend and I was outside with four kids and a, and a puppy and I looked inside and Robin had his feet up chatting to my mum and my sister and I just <laughs> shouted over. I was like, you're enjoying your luxury mini break, are you? You know, and it, and then we switched. And it's about, I think, finding those moments within each day yeah. because either – and actually we went on uh, for a, for a mini break with a couple that we're very close with and that's where the joke kind of came from because we were joking that when you've got kids around – you know one of you will say oh i'll go i'll sort out the checkout which used to be something that was like a bureaucratic annoying thing to do but actually in that situation you're going on a luxury mini break because you get to have (laughs) 10 minutes quiet you get to talk to the person at reception like just check out do a really adult normal thing without worrying that a kid's gonna like i don't know choke on their breakfast or something so um
0: I think it's all about perspective isn't it because actually you know in your 20s if you were backpacking with friends or whatever checking out the hotel would be the chore
1: yes exactly (laughs) once
0: you've got toddlers and you know other responsibilities I guess reframing that that's brilliant I love that and I also think what you're saying here is kind of when you're in a marriage or in a partnership it's giving that to one another so that you can both experience a bit of Balance, I suppose, or like having that break, but also identifying it. Say, okay, you are now on your luxury money break. (laughs) I'll do the work, and then we'll swap. And I think you know uh, that sounds like a very a great technique.
1: Yeah, and I think there is something about trying to split the responsibility of parenting as well as the responsibility Mm -hmm. of work equally. That means that you're not—it's not one of you making a huge sacrifice in one area of your life. Instead, you're both making smaller sacrifices, but you're both gaining. Um, and you can kind of it's that idea like can you have it all well if you're trying to do it all by yourself that might be really difficult um mm. but if you both make if you both make small sacrifices in all areas then i think you can in a way and that doesn't mean yes we, we don't have a huge amount of time for kind of hobbies or things like that at the moment it is a manic period in my life but i don't feel on a day-to-day basis like totally exhausted if you know what i mean because you're sharing mm. that responsibility you're not kind of in a
0: yeah, I- I'm interested in the word that you're choosing to use there of sacrifice. What what mm. do you mean by that? Like, what what is the sacrifice here that you're talking about?
1: I think, let's say, work wise, it's again, it's the type of thing with di- with a different perspective that might be seen as a chore. But to me, like on days when I have to leave the office at four thirty because uh, because we're both in the office for that day for some reason, and one of us needs to pick our son up from nursery and do the nighttime, Like, I look around the room. And the other people with no responsibilities who get to be there till seven, eight and finish what they're doing without the added responsibility of, oh, I've got to get my son and the, the clock's ticking. Like that is a luxury mm. in some ways. Like you're kind of freed from that other responsibility. Um, so, th- you know, that's a sacrifice to me. I'm making a sacrifice at work for the sake of our family. Um, and, th- and it's funny because I think if you don't have that responsibility, you'd probably look at that person leaving at 4.30 and think, they're so lucky they're leaving so early but actually there's a real luxury in my mind now um, in being able to totally focus and not have that kind of other responsibility yeah. so if so for instance whichever one of us is working from home and is generally uh going to be the person to respond if there's a call from nursery for instance that's the person making the sacrifice that day so the other person's mind can be totally free to focus on work um and then kind so the,
0: of... the sacrifice is the the distraction from from doing your job your work job
1: well it's both so it's that's one side of it but also mm. there's a sacrifice in not being the person with our son you know like parental leave is a good a good example like on the one hand parental leave is really really hard and it's a sacrifice to be on parental leave in a way in a way professionally and it's mm. you know a real challenge but also it's a sacrifice to be at work all the time and not to have those crucial bonding periods with your, your child. And we really found for us that instead of one of us entirely sacrificing work and getting all of the benefit of parental leave, uh, and one of us entirely, you know, sacrificing the other way around for us both to do six months mm. and both to get a bit of both worked for us. So it's, you know, I guess with different perspectives, the sacrifice changes.
0: Yeah. I guess it's kind of how you define having it all as well Uh, but you are you saying in in your partnership you both wanted the same degree of involvement and continuing with your careers because that that's not what I've always come across I suppose with interviewing people with children and then kind of finding that balance
1: yes when they
0: want the same
1: Uh, yes so we both I think partly it's when you come to parenthood as a, a gay couple And you take away all the other expectations when it comes to kind of gender stereotypes and what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a father and what society has told us that means. As a a gay couple, we could just be like we're two adults and we're having a child. And so we would both spent a huge amount of time building up qualifications and our experience at work and our careers. But also we would both really dreamed of becoming parents and wanted that time with our son. So we both kind of wanted both. And so for us, taking away all the other societal kind of pressures, we were just two adults. And so it just, nothing else would have made sense other than to split the year so that we both got the time off work to bond with Solly, our son, but that we also both didn't take a year out of our careers, which might kind of hurt our careers a bit, in a bit of a more difficult way long term. Similarly, I think you hear quite a lot when children go to nursery or, or couples are making the decision about child care they'll say oh her salary didn't cover the nursery fees so therefore mm. she has cut down her hours at work it's almost always the woman that does that for us it, that never would have made sense taken one of our salaries even if it was the lower salary and said mm. does that cover the child care fees as two adults without all the other pressures we we're just looking at our household income the cost of nursery if we were going to have to cut down hours, we probably both would have cut down a bit. It kind of never would have made sense to us for only one of us to have focused entirely on childcare and one of us entirely on work. Like we both wanted that balance.
0: Yeah. Every married couple that I've spoken to, or, you know, not even married, I suppose, but just people with with children in a partnership where they've had to navigate this balance within their own home life, I suppose, come at it in a really individual way um and so this is I'm so grateful that you've that you've decided to share your story with us because I think it's it is really interesting that if you remove all the stereotypes uh all the gender stereotypes then you know what you're left with is just two humans that both want careers and both want um a child and you know I guess then you just make sense of it but the rest is really heavily weighted isn't it And I've interviewed a woman who's worked full-time with two children whose husband has done most of the the kind of school runs if you like or one guy I've interviewed who was whose wife worked full time and he gave up his job to be the primary caregiver um, and I suppose in each case they face a degree of judgment I suppose I th- if discrimination is a bit hard but I certainly feel like society doesn't make it easy on them on either of those kind of extremes
1: yeah and some a lot of it is societal pressure and judgment but also it comes from within so you know lots of my female friends uh, will talk about you know if there's a woman you decide to go back to work after six months and your male partner takes over for the second half of the year as well as there being judgment from society as well as health services probably questioning you because they always expect to see a mother at those appointments in the first year rather than a father and all those things um There's also the internal kind of am I a bad mother thing because because there's so much pressure on women once they become mothers that they have to be the primary carer and they have to have this really unique, powerful bond that apparently no man can have and all these different things. And similarly, men feeling kind of masculine shame, like, you know, I'm a straight man. Should I really be doing this kind of thing? Should I be splitting this half off? Should I be, you know, the one at home more than my female partner because she earns more than me and all those kind of things again as just two adults coming to it without all those all those pressures neither of us feels that kind of guilt or shame or any of that internally you know just anything else didn't make sense to us we were both gonna try and split it yeah you know it doesn't always work every day and there are times that one of us might feel that the other one is slacking a bit or they're taking on more of of the load and hopefully your relationship is strong enough that you can just talk about it. You know, we do talk about that and we argue about it, but fundamentally we agree that we should be trying as hard as we can to split that responsibility.
0: In a situation where a woman decides she wants to not work in order to raise her children and rely on her husband to be the main breadwinner, there is a degree of choice there. not, Not all women that find themselves in that situation are... Uh, kind of pushed into it mm. but what what do you make of that then if somebody really wants to be that primary caregiver how do you make sense of that,
1: uh, that i mean that makes sense to me i think in a way the problem with kind of this generation of parents is that often you have two you know man and woman who Both have careers, and yet the woman, when you look at the studies, almost always is doing more at home as well, and that's not a fair division of labor. And while I'm not in any way advocating for a return to the 1950s, in a way, I look at my parents and think that that more traditional, she was at home, he worked. That is a division of labor that's pretty fair. It's not fair, you know, it's fair workload wise. It's not fair if you if the woman doesn't want to be doing that or the man doesn't want to be doing that. So, um i absolutely no judgment whatsoever but i think throughout my book the equal parent in writing it, i really didn't want to be judgmental whatever works for you works but as a society i think what isn't fair is this idea that equality only focuses focuses on work and that you know we always have these figures that come out about the gender pay gap and why are women not progressing in their careers as much but you have a child and you're kind of Transported to this more traditional expectation of division of labour because wherever you go with a newborn baby the expectation is a mother will be there and when a father is there you either get lots of praise or you get kind of questions and suspicion because because you know at best you'll be a hands-on father who's doing a really good job of helping but no one really expects you as a man with particularly with a new baby to have equal responsibility. But we can't have equality at work if you don't have her at home as well what you end up with is a situation where women are trying to work as hard professionally but also expected to be primary parents so to go back to the original question like on an individual basis absolutely no judgment like if you want to have those more traditional splits of responsibilities that's great and in a way the responsibilities are probably quite fairly split um But we should look at that at childcare as work, essentially, as well as the joys of it. You know, people are are doing such long hours looking after their children and it's not valued by society in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I absolutely do value it in the same way. So if a woman or a man, but, you know, if a woman wants to do that, to be at home for those first few years of their child's life, like, absolutely. If anything, I think I don't know how you do it because I needed the break from it
0: yeah it's definitely not for everyone and I would say they're the minority of people that I've come across the women that have actively chosen to give up the career in order to raise their children um but I think it is a valid you know work-life balance choice really if that's what you want to do like you say that's you know that should be a choice that's available yeah fundamentally we're all
1: trying to do our best and just bring up kids and not lose our careers and whatever you know we're all just want the best we're all just kind of struggling along and doing our best so like I really don't uh kind of um see any point of being judgmental about people's choices
0: yeah i i think the the guy who i interviewed who was a full-time carer for his children while his wife worked full-time his name was john and he um i remember him describing the school gate as being quite lonely for him he he referred to it as like a sisterhood of women that would club together and he was the outsider being the only dad in the playground if you like um and he, he worried about the impact that might have on his children as well, that if he wasn't included in part of the pack, then they wouldn't be invited to the playdates that he wouldn't know about because he wasn't in, included, you know. I think there is kind of a, a ripple effect there. I think there's, there are small actions that lots of us could take, I suppose, to be more inclusive.
1: Yes, definitely. And if, you know, I think lo- lots of men talk about that. My experience is slightly different. And I do wonder if it's because I'm a gay man. And i kind of really felt welcomed when i was on parental leave for instance with kind of open arms into kind of (laughs) women's spaces essentially and i think there probably is more suspicion of straight men and so Mm. i kind of am aware of that but we never experienced that and we really found that having a child was such a leveler and it didn't matter that we had our son through surrogacy and obviously neither of us was pregnant or gave birth neither of us was breastfeeding fundamentally we were all doing the same stuff struggling with sleep struggling with feeding whether by breast or bottle you know lots of the women also didn't breastfeed um and we felt very welcomed and there's something that is kind of really nice about the way that having a child is a real leveler and and um, so it's a real shame if men are excluded from that again it's this idea that we focus on work and you know women do if 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 we want equality properly it at work then there is a there is part of it which is opening up that traditional women's space of new mm-hmm. children and opening it up to dads and making sure dads feel welcome in those spaces and that's how change really happens and then also we want to be i think send it kind of setting the example for our kids like when our kid, it, it shouldn't be unusual at all it shouldn't be remarkable at all for our kids to see men cooking and men cleaning and that's happening more and more already but equally you kind of Going to a nursery, and how many male teachers are there? Very few, and so you know it's important that our kids just see men in caring kind of positions to know that it's, yeah. that's not just women's work. That stuff.
0: I think I think the same can be said about the home life as well, because the the people that I've interviewed on this podcast who have quite an equal division between both the husband and the wife, say having careers that they're invested in. In all of those situations where the husband and the wife share both work full time, let's say, or both work four days a week, they also have quite an equal division of work in the home as well. And I think the children will just as much expect the dad to take them to clubs or to swimming as they will the mum or whoever's going to cook that night is whoever's just in the house or, you know, they don't really expect it of their parents in the same way that I suppose that if it's always one or the other doing it um so I think it probably does have to happen on both both camps in the work camp and the home camp
1: definitely and I think you know I guess you want to avoid those reinforcing those stereotypes and children growing up with the idea that only women cook or only men go to work you know so I think it is nice to kind of set that example obviously our son would not for a second think that cooking was something men didn't do because he sees men cooking all the time. And kind of similarly, that's why at his nursery, there's one male teacher, and we really like that, because we want him, we don't want him just seeing women as these kind of caring figures, and and that men don't do that stuff as well. Like it's really important that he grows up understanding what it means to be a man is not, you know, you go to work and you don't do the caring stuff. Like men change nappies, men look after babies, men do all that stuff as well. There's nothing um that means we shouldn't be doing all this stuff that traditionally women do
0: yeah i think this is a a huge rhetoric that we're challenging on multiple levels at the moment with with kind of male role models with all the andrew tates and the like kind of perpetuating this idea that men don't do certain things or men do do certain things so you know starting early sounds like it could be a good approach
1: Yeah. And I mean, some people will obviously bring up biology and women do carry babies and women do give birth and women are absolutely central to most families, of course. But I think what I've argued for massively in my book is that, you know, actually the moment the baby is born, there's no biological reason that men can't be doing an equal share and taking an equal share of responsibility. There's really good science actually in this area now that shows how men's Brains change after parenthood, and the changes match what happens to new mothers' brains. Those biological changes, hormones, and literally parts of the brain changing, if they are doing the stuff of parenting, if they're actively parenting, you know, being there, present, holding their babies, changing their babies, feeding their babies, you biologically changes a man in the same ways that that women change, and that's after the birth but because women do the all the hard stuff in the run-up to having the baby there's this just the societal assumption that women therefore have these special instincts afterwards but actually it's not true men are capable of them they just have to be around um and so it's you know i really do want to argue against that you know i, I understand why over centuries and centuries women have done more of this stuff because their bodies have dictated that but we're hopefully in an a more enlightened time now which shows that you don't have to be bound by what your body does and actually as soon as the baby is born you can there's no reason kind of uh, biologically or uh, you know in the way that we live our lives now that men can't be kind of stepping up at that point and splitting yeah. responsibility
0: yeah and I, I suppose bringing it back to the the discussion on work-life balance in a partnership that that generally involves Having that conversation with your partner and being clear on what you want and how you can each get what you want out of your time to find the balance that's right for you
1: yeah and 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 we talked about sacrifice before and one of the biggest sacrifices that i've kind of learned about since becoming a parent but also kind of interviewing the you know scientists in this area and looking into the research and how responsibility works and all this kind of stuff one of the sacrifices you have to make sometimes as a parent is taking a step back and lots of people can find this very very hard mostly women because you do that first period even though I'm not a woman because I took the first period of parental leave and you set you set all the patterns during that time and I had my own ways of getting my son to sleep and my own schedules and we then split at, uh, swapped at six months and I went back to work and Rob, and my husband, took over on parental leave. And it was really, really hard at first for me not to be controlling and uh, to let go and let him do things his own ways. And at first I was packing the bag for them when they went out because I was used to packing the bag. And eventually I really learned to stop doing that and just to close the door to work. and work. And you can kind of inhibit your partner if you are a bit too over-controlling. And we, we do this, we kind of um, patronize men and lots of women will pack the baby bag for them if they're going to have a day looking after the baby by themselves or they'll write a list of things that needs to be done. And I understand it. But but what all the kind of all the experts say is you have to stop doing that if you want to split the responsibility and you want your partner to really step up and take responsibility in the same way that you are. Um, yeah.
0: And I guess there's a there's a degree of self-sabotage there as well, because if you want to have the balance that works for you as well, you need to let go of some things, I guess, unless yeah, you want if, to if, be doing that. I guess if that's your choice, if that's like a conscious choice that you want to take and how you want to live your life, then then I guess you need to just own that. But then you'll it's, have to, it's very hard. That you're taking on the mental load. Yourself. Yeah, and
1: if, you know, sometimes yeah we've all had that situation where you're out for dinner with some friends and there's mum who's checking her phone to make sure that the dad has got the kids to sleep, or it, like the dad is calling her because like he can't he's, he can't find the pajamas or something like that and in those situations, I always think just like they need to they need to trust themselves a bit more when they're at home like they'll find mm. the pajamas they'll get them to sleep like no one's gonna die tonight, and actually if you can trust each other in that way and take both be able to take the full responsibility then when you are out with your friends you can totally let go and you need that you need those times when your your mind is totally mm-hmm. switched off
0: you're listening to a fine balance with me Dahlia wittenberg my guest this episode is the investigative journalist and equal parent advocate paul morgan bentley Paul and I recorded this episode in the final days of Pride Month and during our conversation we talked about Paul's experience of coming out and what impacted his sense of balance during those formative years. Paul describes the immense sense of loss he felt at the idea of not being able to have children. When surrogacy became an option for him and his husband, he was able to realise his dreams of being a father that he had grown to accept were out of his reach. discuss how this earlier experience of infertility has gone on to impact his work-life balance choices as a parent and Paul generously shares some insight into what helped him maintain his balance in those difficult times. Before we get to that though I wanted to ask Paul about how he maintains his balance when he is so clearly driven and inspired by his work. I think my line of questioning took him a little bit by surprise when I asked him about his decision to scrutinise his experience of parenthood through the lens of an investigative journalist. Nevertheless, he articulated his answer brilliantly, providing some enlightening and practically useful insights into how to manage being passionate about your vocation while maintaining an overall sense of balance with everything else in life. Let's get back to the episode. I think a lot of people might have an experience of parenthood and talk about it with their friends and then kind of move on. Whereas you've decided to write a book about it. Um, And, you know, I'm curious about whether this is like just your professional interest working there, or is this something here in your value around work and your work ethic that you couldn't, that you had to sort of, you know, delve into this more? Like, is this, was this a trait you had, like as a schoolboy as well? Were you kind of this committed? your trade to your work
1: absolutely not I was totally different when I was at school I think Um, and uh, quite naughty and quite frequently suspended so um, I I think there's probably (laughs) something that's developed more recently Um, but I just I think it was because as a gay couple we had our son and we very much assumed that our experience would be kind of framed by that. And that if we experienced anything unusual, it would be like comments about there being two dads, or about being a gay yeah. couple. And actually, we really didn't experience that much, which was lovely. Like, as I said before, it was a real lesson yeah. Like, we were just talking with everyone that we were around at the time about all the really excruciating stuff that everyone finds really boring like how many poos they were doing a day and oh god he woke up at 3am and you know all those just like totally normal Mm. things like no one seemed to care that we were a two dad family however the experience that was really formative um was the kind of lack of expectation about dads generally and what i mean by that is you know we would take Solly to a vaccination appointment and we'd get huge praise every time a nurse and they were really well-meaning obviously and just being lovely but they'd say stuff like oh we never see dads or we never see just a dad or you know like oh what's going on have you taken time off work oh that's amazing it's so good that dads are doing that now (laughs) and you know I just really started thinking about all these female colleagues I have and female friends who obviously would never be praised for doing these kind of the basics—you're getting your child vaccinated—and it carries on. And more recently, I picked up a prescription for my son at our local chemist, and the uh, dispenser said something like, um, "Oh, it's great to see dads doing things like this." And I was like, "You know, wh- I'm picking up a prescription. Like, yeah. what woman would ever be praised for that?" And <laughs> and I think probably because of my job, and and I'm looking constantly for kind of things to to write about, and yeah. To, Doings some society and try to form change that's what news investigations are all about you know yeah. trying to get the law changed try to um kind of social justice and things like that and it just made me think this is such an obvious issue facing this generation of yeah. parents uh, we're supposed to, but then you have a baby and no one expects equality and I wanted to look into it I wanted to kind of look into the science and see is it really true that mother's instinct exists and like can men mm. actually never truly be equal parents and the kind of big spoiler is that absolutely not men are totally capable of it and the science is brilliant and really backs this up. So was
0: it, it like... just in... Sorry, was it just in finding your passion then that motivated you to to you know to make an academic study of this then if you're saying you know at school you weren't that driven is it just as you've got older and you've sort of found your vocation that you that you're this driven and motivated
1: the truth is I've never really been that introspective about it so this feels a bit like a therapy session like I don't know (laughs) know, (laughs) sorry I guess what I'm getting
0: at is just how when when people sort of identify how they value their work and then what weight they give that in like the bigger picture of their life yes. um it's just interesting to see because you're right like a, a lot of people i've spoken to you know weren't that motivated at school but went on to be like really really super driven and successful and motivated in their work and it, all it took was for them to find something that interests them and, and that they were passionate about to find that um and and then there's a bit of a tussle of like well how do you manage that passion to maintain your balance i suppose Yeah I think
1: that's it's so funny because I've never thought about this and thank you for asking me about it because actually it it feels really interesting to think about it for the first time but I think that was the case with me I wasn't massively driven at school I mean I was quite driven in like um, exams and stuff like that but I was quite naughty Um, but I'm hugely passionate about my work I love it and I love digging really deep into a subject and not just kind of finding out about it but then trying to Kind of um, articulate that message in a really clear way and engaging way, so like taking academic studies that are really dense and impossible to understand, but then really understanding them, and then explaining them in a way that anyone can understand, and kind of doing that job of being that kind of messenger. And mm-hmm. I love doing that. And so yeah, maybe it was that. In this way, I just saw this wasn't part of my work, but I felt really passionate about it. It was obviously something very personal to me because we were dads bringing up our son. And so suddenly looking into the science and feeling really validated because yeah. it didn't matter that we were just men. Actually, the science backs this up. We can do it. And then having conversations with people and hearing dad say things like turning to the mum and saying, oh, can he eat this? And thinking, <laughs> stop letting down the team. You're a man. Yeah. Like, that doesn't, you're, you're just an adult. Like, why don't you know what your kid eats? Or hearing a uh, dad say, oh, I'm sleeping in the spare room at the moment because I've got work the next day. <laughs> and thinking like why you're an accountant like why is that more important than your wife getting up and looking after your new baby all day long like I'm feeling really sure because we'd done it as well mm. that it was not only was should it be considered work but it was harder and that if anyone should be rested it should be the person looking after the baby and so maybe it was that and the passion And then thinking no I want to I've, I've started looking into the science I want to try and kind of explain this to people in an engaging way yeah. so that you know so I don't know so and uh, maybe to to kind of help cause some kind of change um, I,
0: I think this is really encouraging actually because I think so many times when you think about work-life balance the rhetoric is always about you know tone down the work and make sure you have space for other things in your life I don't know you know the classic sort of work-life balance ideal of um, of creating more more opportunity in your life for things that bring you joy mm. without actually recognising the joy that work can bring you. So I guess where, I, where I'm where i getting to on this is just the idea that you can still find a really healthy sense of work-life balance even if you do throw yourself into your work because I think so often the rhetoric is around on the work you know on the work to life ratio is reducing the work side in in order to have more on the life side and to increase your balance whereas a lot of people find throwing themselves into the work side actually does give them that sense of balance and it sounds a little bit like here you've kind of blended those two things together it's your work skills that have sort of blended into your life and and actually you know that feels like a good sense of balance for you as well so it was just interesting to reflect on that really.
1: Yeah, m- massively. And I think maybe that works for me and Robin because Robin's very similar and he absolutely gets huge value from work. And he, um, just this week, our uh, life is a bit chaotic because we've just got a new puppy, which is lovely, but also added huge added chaos to our current Yeah, but I he, know the feeling. He, um, oh, really? He, um, he was in the office on Thursday and I swear he came home a different man. Like he just yeah. needed a day totally away from everything at home to focus on work. And he's so passionate about work and that. And then he had huge amounts of patience at home and it, it just I'm the same. And yeah. for us, very much that balance work is, you know, a big part of our self-worth and yeah. we don't feel any shame about that. And you know, maybe that's also part of the kind of taking gender out of the equation of parenting. And we don't feel like bad mothers when we're at work we you know we yeah. go to work we love work and but equally we love being at home and don't want to kind of deny the other one all those times at home um and yeah. bedtimes however stressful they can be on occasion you know they're lovely bonding times with your child um so yeah i feel kind of they absolutely can marry and and work shouldn't be this shameful chore you know ideally you go to work and that's part of the balance and that's something enjoyable
0: yeah it sounds like you're both very really deliberate about the balance that you strike and the balance that you support one another to have and you know these luxury mini breaks i think is something that that's <laughs> really stuck in my mind it's, that's a brilliant um notion really so thank you for that i do want to move the conversation a little bit on to you're talking here about shame about work but we were talking about pride um earlier when we had our introduction and i mentioned it in my introduction as well here about the fact that we're recording this during pride month is there any kind of reflection that you can share on that that impact of figuring out your sexuality and how that might impact on your sense of balance
1: yeah of course the um i think something to say is i grew up in a kind of modern orthodox jewish family in north london and families and family time were a huge part of growing up and i think you know my dad worked long hours but we we kept the sabbath which is kind of from friday evening to saturday evening a time we kept it quite strictly where we weren't driving we weren't kind of using phones we weren't watching tv it was very much family was kind of forced in a way to kind of be switched off from work during that period and we that time for anyone who's kind of familiar with Jewish kind of family Sabbaths it was big meals and friends around and running around and chaos and fun and arguments and all that kind of stuff but it was all family and big families I think I kind of grew up just assuming that I would have a family that was such a fundamental part of life for me was family life um, and I was one of four children and you know we're all still very close so for me anyway the coming to terms with my sexuality which happened kind of in my kind of mid-teens really um the hardest part of that was the idea that I wouldn't be a dad and I couldn't see my future and how that would work ultimately and I kind of thought in my back of it you know I'd have these conversations with myself in bed at night trying to kind of come to terms with it and thinking things like oh, can I part can I just kind of you know get on with it and would that be fair to a woman if i married a woman and would it wouldn't be fair to me and you know what's more important kind of being true to my sexuality or having a family so that and you know ultimately i decided to that i couldn't hide it and and that i i wouldn't be able to go through with having you know getting married to a woman or anything like that um and but I definitely went through a morning period where I thought, okay, but as part of this, I probably won't have a family. Like, I don't, I probably won't have children. I'm not sure how that would work. Um, so then, I'll, you know, fast forward a decade or so, or more than that, I meet Robin, and we, friends of ours had talked to us about how they were pursuing surrogacy, and I think we'd assumed that it was something that only kind of wealthy celebrities did in America, and we weren't sure about the ethics of it and how it would work, but learned about how it works in the UK, and actually when it works well it's really beautiful in the uk and the model is that it's legal but it's not commercial so you can't pay a woman uh, a woman can't earn money for carrying a child for you but you can cover kind of expenses to make sure she's not out of pocket so things like medical expenses and uh, you know transport to appointments and all things like that um and we joined an organisation, Surrogacy UK, and we made went through the IVF process and made embryos with a different woman, an anonymous egg donor. And then eventually, through this organisation, they host social events. And we met Rachel at one of the events after kind of travelling the country, going to try and meet people for six months. And we met her and her husband and her two sons and Fast forward you know, five years and we have a son, Solly, who she carried for us and um, we're still really close. And we, you know, I, the whole experience, I guess it, it was because I had all those years when I was younger thinking it wouldn't be possible. It all just felt so exciting. And wow. you know, being there at the first scan, I, I, you know, I really, I remember thinking, I'll never be at a scan for a baby. And, for, you know, people took, my siblings would go through that and I would think I'm never gonna have that. And being there at that scan was just unbelievable. And, you know, what Rachel did for us was was incredible. And it 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 gave both of us um, that family, you know, I guess, luckily, when I met Robin, he was on the same page, he, he always wanted children as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And um,
1: so I'm sure that has impacted how we split things now and how we balance things. You know, I really try and be quite loud about parenting at work. And while I'm really passionate about work and uh, think about it a lot, I'm also really determined to, to be clear that I'm leaving now at 4.30 because I have to pick up my son. And, you know, there's a they're doing a nativity performance and I want to be there. So I'll be in late tomorrow. And, you know, having that balance and, and being present for my son is really, yeah. really important.
0: I think that having the fertility issues or thinking that something's not available to you and then it becoming available to you, uh, you can imagine why you would appreciate something almost more because when it's something that you really long for and you think you'll never have. Uh, before we talk about that, because I know there are other women that might appreciate hearing that perspective as well, um, just back to this idea of of um, finding your sexuality and, and kind of being at that age where you were telling yourself this narrative that this wasn't going to be available to you. It sounded like you experienced more disappointment than shame. Would that be fair to say? Like, um, About my do, sexuality? It, yeah, I guess. How did it impact on your sense of balance when you were working that out?
1: I, I, Do you know what? I never felt any shame about my sexuality. I really... That is not something I experienced. I didn't feel like there was anything wrong about it. I felt very confident about it. I just it was just a kind of a working out exercise in some ways, you know, I don't necessarily relate massively to some gay people who talk about knowing from a really young age, it was definitely something I had to work out as I got older and understood what sexuality really was and having a girlfriend wasn't just kind of holding hands and saying you had a girlfriend and being best friends with a girl, that there was that physical connection and, and and what I was actually attracted to. But I never felt shame about that. but yeah, the most formative thing definitely was you know not separating sexuality from life, so knowing okay. what my sexuality was, but then also my mind thinking, "But that's not my life because my life is getting married to a woman and having children, so how's that going to work?" And then mourning for that and realizing that life could be something different and and that I could potentially have that um, with a man, and I, you know that in some ways, I guess robin and i and Solly, our life are quite traditional and boring and you know we have moved just outside london into kind of a little village and we uh, you know both work and we don't i guess pride and and being gay there, i think there can in society or has in the past been kind of stereotypes about what that means and and actually there's a million different ways to live your life no matter what your sexuality is and for us, kind of pride and activism is just existing and being loud about who we are. And I think there's huge power in that form of activism, just being yourself. Yeah. And, that, you know, there's, there's discussions at the moment in America and also in the UK about education programs for kids in primary schools. And should, is it too young to teach children that some kids have two dad families? And is that appropriate? And, I, you know, I find it ridiculous because every child at Solly's nursery knows about two dad families because they know Solly and they see us and they know us and they know about two mum families because there's a set of twins there who have two mums. They know about single parents because some of them have, sing- have parents who have split up and, you know. I I think it's really important to kind of part, part of appearing on this podcast and we do try and be quite loud about our family is we feel a responsibility to do so because of Mm -hmm. those other people who are growing up and and wanting people, you know, kids who are growing up teenagers to know lots of different ways of of being gay. And, you know, if you're worried about having a family, well, it is possible. And, and um, yeah, I think there is huge power in just being yourself loudly.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. That's really interesting to hear and really encouraging as well. Because I think the thread that has kind of come out throughout this whole conversation is this sense of acceptance that you have, um, whether it's of having the career and being the the dad, and I don't know, you're, you're advocating, you're trying to change things, but you're also accepting of your own situation. So therefore, that sense of balance that you have come, really comes comes across really strongly.
1: Yeah, I, didn't, I mean, there's there's kind of no point in pretending you're anything other than you are, and a huge value in honestly and just being honest and loud, I think. Um, and that's mm-hmm. definitely something, you know, it's something the studies show about children in non traditional families. Like it's it's totally fine in the kids, there's now long term studies into kids with uh, same sex parents and single parents and the non traditional, bringing children up in a non traditional way or in non traditional family structure. Actually, there's loads of evidence now that shows kids grow up just as well as just and do just as well but the one thing that can challenge that is not being honest with your children and so you know it's Mm -hmm. so for instance Sully already knows that he was you know in his own way he's only three but if you ask him whose tummy he grew inside he'll say auntie rachel we always talk about it and it's uh, that is very much how you know adoptive kids who adopted it's very important that they are told about their birth parents and told they're adopted from a young age and um I guess similarly, neither of us are ashamed about the way we balance our lives. We talk about work. When, when Solly was in the bath literally just a few nights ago, I said to him, what? Because he's learning about work in nursery and like different firemen and stuff like that. And he must have heard me talk about my work because I said, what do you want to be when you're, when you're older? What do you want to do for work? And he goes, I want to be a journalist. which <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so cute. <laughs> um, he doesn't even know what that means but he's obviously mm-hmm. heard me use the word I'm going to be yeah. a journalist <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know definitely we're we're very loud about work and he's very aware of, yeah. of work as as well as
0: um, there, there's just it sounds like there's such a ripple effect there as well of like you being open being accepting of who you are making sure your son understands that and feels that and i guess on some level you must have felt that from your family even if they were a traditional observant jewish family there must have been a degree there of of acceptance and celebration of who you are to enable you to feel that sense of pride about yourself and and not let that let that skew your your balance too much particularly in those formative years
1: definitely actually it's really interesting you say that because my parents um are modern orthodox Jewish they are also very socially liberal and very kind of open honest people and have always kind of Mm. you know loved to kind of say the slightly taboo thing my mum's very like that and you know make funny speeches at occasions where they kind of say the thing I don't know they've always been those kinds of people who are very honest and you know some people might think that's a bit much but they don't care and they kind of celebrate (laughs) loudness and it was a loud family and four kids and for attention and that kind of thing so i think i that's true that is a formative thing i've always kind of been taught to just be open and loud
0: i know we're running out of time but just let's just touch on this idea of fertility or infertility because i have interviewed and only women i've spoken to mind you um on this subject of not being able to conceive when you want to conceive or you know there are other women i've spoken to that certainly do not want children and child free Mm. they refer to themselves not as childless like you know they don't want it but if you do want children And you can't have them as and when you want. There is, as you said, that word mourning, you know, I think there is that mourning of what you you thought would be yours. Um, uh, Well, how does that, can you just talk about how that might impact on the work-life balance and what worked for you as well? I know you overcame it in the end, but, you know, for other people that might be experiencing something similar.
1: I I felt quite passionately and quite um, deeply that it didn't matter how I had a child. That I wanted to kind of have a child and have a family, but I was never someone that was massively hung up on like genetics and stuff like that. So Mm. actually, I mean, I should say my son is not genetically related to me in in the fertility Mm -hmm. treatment. It was Robin's sperm that we used and that and -hmm. also in kind of researching for my book, it was like really reassuring in a way to read all this research that shows how parenting really is about what you do rather than who you are and that thing that i was talking yeah. about earlier about your men's brain changing i mean it's the same with um women who adopt or have children who aren't biologically or genetically theirs there's a yeah. there's an anthropologist in america called sarah blaffer who's wonderful and i interviewed her she's written some amazing books about motherhood um And I interviewed her for my book and she said something really beautiful, which was that because of the science over the past few decades and how we know that literally just by parenting, irrelevant of who you are or your genetic connections, that your hormones change, your brain changes, all this kind of stuff, um, that she calls mothers through adoption biological mothers. They're not genetic mothers, but she calls them biological mothers because Mm. their biology has changed. And similarly, she was like, I absolutely would call you your son's biological father. Your your if you scanned your brain before and after having your son, it would look totally different now and your hormones and stuff like that. And and so I found that really beautiful. But also, I think when going through fertility challenges, because of what society always tells us about, you know, the importance of genetic links and will you hear it with a baby like, oh, he's a mini me or he's a mini you and Mm -hmm. we we say those things all the time it's like a, it's a, I play it as well that kind of game you look at a baby and oh I can see a bit of the dad and I can see a bit of the mum mm-hmm. but actually it's not very important and I think it can totally overwhelm you when you're going through um, fertility treatment um, through surrogacy I've met lots of other people who have gone through years and years of infertility and it can totally take over your life and at the expense of balance because you it's the most important thing in your mind and it's not happening and i think something if anyone was reassured by it i just cannot emphasize enough how little importance genetics are to me and how the bond i have with my son is so strong and it's it's just so now it kind of feels ridiculous the idea that i would have like an existential crisis about those kind of links because having gone through it i know feel so deeply how unimportant that is and so you know if you if you really want a child then Mm -hmm. there are different ways to have children and i think people can be very worried that in different ways they wouldn't feel ways that they think they should feel and actually what the science shows and i definitely have experienced this is that it's all about actually the doing and the caring and those kind of things actually when it comes down to it don't really matter
0: I think it I'm reminded though of of your of this kind of word accepting that I've kind of keep coming back to in this conversation, because I think for a woman who really wants to help to carry a child to bear a child, oh. I think that might be harder to overcome, you know, accepting that that won't happen. that won't be your reality, even if you could do it by another means, you know become a mother by another means. But maybe there is something there in in reframing that narrative and accepting your reality as it is as as a changing reality you know you said that when you were younger you had come to terms with the idea of not being able to be a father but actually then things changed for you I wonder I mean it must be I'm not saying it would be easy at all um to kind of change that mindset change that narrative for yourself maybe that's a way to do it and and to maintain a sense of balance and not let it overwhelm you and take over your life
1: yeah and that i mean the point you made is so true like i absolutely cannot speak obviously for women who have grown up their whole whole lives expecting that when they're older they're going to be pregnant and then they can't it doesn't happen and how devastating that must be and i obviously can't relate to that and i wouldn't for a moment want to suggest that i could
0: um
1: but something actually through surrogate because when we join this organization there's such an amazing community of people going through surrogacy and they go to these events together and stay in touch and a, it really is a lovely community And we've met lots of different types of people who are just trying to become parents and there, there has we have noticed there's a that there, there can be a difference of experience between gay couples um with gay couples and then also certain heterosexual couples where the woman has found out that she couldn't carry a baby much earlier in her life so there's a condition called mrkh for instance where women are born without a uterus but they only usually find out when they're about 16 because they haven't been having periods and they go through that same mourning period at that kind of age in their teens and then when they come to surrogacy many years later similar similar to the gay couples they seem to be really kind of excited because suddenly it's a new, op- it's a new thing that they kind of had thought might never happen. Whereas there does seem to be a difference of, of experience with women who have not had that kind of clarity of you can't do this when they were much younger. So they always thought that it would be possible. And there's this kind of uncertainty where for some reason it's not happening. And maybe there's a hope that maybe it would happen in the future. And I think that is much trickier in a way like the women I've met Mm. who just who just had that certainty of you will never carry a baby when they were 16 and it must have been an awful period having come through that there's an acceptance whereas if there's like uncertainty and maybe with this treatment you could and maybe that is is where it's much much more difficult long term to have that acceptance anyway that's just an observation from people I've met
0: No, I feel like this is coming full circle because what's really coming to my mind is what we started this conversation off with, which was talking about your commute to work. And actually, Mm. your commute to work now, since having Solly, um, has a whole different um, feel for you than it was before when you were free and single and the commute was just a bit of a grind. Whereas now you see it as something that's an opportunity, a bit of time to yourself, a bit of freedom. That idea of perspective, and I guess it depends when... There are multiple things that can happen across the course of your life, particularly when it comes to fertility, that can really shift your perspective.
1: I think that's definitely true. And it is, you know, if if you are someone who's gone through fertility struggles or, you know, a gay male couple or gay male person that wants to have children but kind of thinks it will never happen, then when it does, you know, sometimes I hear things like, oh we're having another child we hope it's a girl because the first one was a boy and I just think Mm. like you're so lucky you can just fall pregnant you know this it's so interesting that that's something that would keep you up at night because frankly like the sex of our child was the last thing we cared about yeah you know that as if I'd have cared about that I was just so excited that I was at a scan you know yeah so it's all about perspective definitely
0: yeah oh i could talk to you for hours but i know that we're out of time now paul i'm just going to give one last question which is the question that i round up all my conversations with and that is what you would ideally like your work to life ratio to be if any different to what it is which you didn't actually give me a figure at the beginning so i don't (laughs) know how you're going to answer this question
1: (laughs) um I think continuing the theme of fluidity it depends on time of life and you know I think there it's great if there can be an acceptance that when you have really small children that maybe you are going to have to work in a more flexible way and you know it's throughout it's the throughout the day thing and I can at this kind of day I can be 100% focused at work but there I do have to have an acceptance that between like six and eight every day it's very difficult when I'm at home for me to be logged on at the same time. And so maybe I have Mm -hmm. to pick that up at other times. And, you know, looking at it, kind of uh, the kind of answer you're really looking for as a number, you know, the five, five seems sensible to me. Like I fundamentally, the home life is the most important thing. And there's nothing more important than my husband and my son. Um, And I should say my puppy now, because that would be mean to him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Although he can't understand. Um, (laughs) But work is really important to me and that kind of sense mm. of identity it gives me and how passionate I feel about it so I'd always want it to be kind of a fair split
0: yeah but a fluidly one and I like I but like the idea it's sort of like yeah monitoring as the day goes on you know between six and eight it's you know more balanced on the home side between you know nine till four you've got the work going I, th- I think that's also acceptable I'm not pushing you to put a figure, by the way
1: <laughs> no I like I really try and lift My son's at nursery long hours and I work long hours. My husband works long hours. So those few hours before bedtime, as much as I can, I don't want to be on my phone like I yes. want to be focused on him because I'm aware that other children get much more time with their parents one-on-one so I want that one-on-one time to be really yeah. good and focused and it doesn't always work and I don't want to kind of claim to be someone I'm not and sometimes I am on my phone but yeah. I really try and check myself with that and be focused on him and equally when I'm at work I don't want to be constantly thinking about my son and other stuff and like it, does he have his Easter bonnet hat ready and stuff like that like I want to be focused at work <laughs> so I really try and be a 10 when I'm you know for both when I can it's it doesn't always work absolutely but and then overall maybe a 50 50
0: yeah I think we can take our lead from our puppies by the way on that of just like living in the moment yes (laughs) not distracted just being there in the moment wanting what you want right there being with the person that you are
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: Um, um Paul if anyone wants to read your book tell us how can they find it and find out more about your work
1: So my book is called The Equal Parent. It should be at most uh, bookstores, Waterstones, things like that. Um, And it's on Amazon. So if you just Google The Equal Parent, it should come up or my name, Paul Morgan Bentley. Um, And then my work for The Times, you can find uh, through Googling or on The Times website.
0: Sounds great. Lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me on. I've loved it.
0: This has been A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices one story at a time with me, Dahlia Wittenberg. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for future episodes on your usual podcast provider. You can find more about my interview with Paul and those other people that I've interviewed on my blog, A Fine Balance, in the show notes, or go to www.a-fine-balance.com. For updates, you can follow at fine balance underscore blog on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time, goodbye!